0: Good morning, everyone. Um, it is my delight to bring uh, the message to you this morning, um, worshiping our God in our shared faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, as we begin, I'd like to start with a word of prayer, and then we will get into the text. Um, Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for what you have given to us. We have been blessed with knowing you, and we are blessed to know your Son, Jesus, who came into the world to save us from our sins. We thank you for this undeserved gift that could only come from you. As we consider this truth, as we consider the words of the Scripture passage today, we ask that they be on our hearts, and that they're on our minds, and that they are on our actions as we learn more about who you are and what you have promised. We ask that we do whatever we can in response, and that your Holy Spirit fills us and points us to the truth of this passage today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Disunity, fear, civil unrest and uproars, conflict with close friends or family members or church members, a government that doesn't seem to care much, a government, in fact, that is at odds with the church. Conflict is everywhere, and underlying all of this is worry. It may seem like I'm speaking about us today, but I'm actually speaking of the church in Philippi. There was great suffering in the church, and Paul was um, in chains, writing this letter to them. And so while he's in chains, he writes that there is going to be uh, a need for joy, even in their city. So I'll be reading from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, and we'll get to see how the brothers and fi- sisters in Philippians are, g- are given some wisdom from Paul as he teaches us how To endure better. So if you will turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, we should be able, or we will we will read it together. There should be a Bible in front of you if you don't have one, and the passage is on page 982. Again, the passage is Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Here's God's word to us. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. These are not the words that I would expect to read from a man writing in a jail cell. And yet Paul is in chains and he writes to the Philippian believers. Paul is in a situation that most of us fear ever being in. He is imprisoned. He is surrounded by guards who don't share his love for God. Yet he has a joy that endures this trial He's bold to proclaim the goodness of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, the reconciliation to God through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. He shares it so much so that everyone knows this message. They can't help but hear what he proclaims day in and day out. He's surrounded by both guards and prisoners. And some have heard this message and believe it, but others have heard and are haters of God. We see in the first chapter of Philippians that while some have believed and repeat the message out of a love for God, others do it to mock Paul. And in this, Paul rejoices. It seems strange to take mockery aimed at you and have it become a source of joy, but Paul does. He sees this as a moment where the message of Jesus is proclaimed. He exhibits joy in the worst circumstances that he could be in. Why? It's because he doesn't hold on to these circumstances as the anchor for the hope that he has. His anchor is his hope in God. His foundation for joy is a source that can never be taken away from him. Maybe you've been struggling to have joy in your life this week, or this month, or this year, or the last few years. Maybe you're suffering from a number of problems, away from your family and friends. Someone close to you is sick, or you're grieving a death. You've been dealing with fear, or anxiety, or doubt or many other reasons that I haven't listed here, you may be experiencing. But this letter is written for you too. Paul is not writing this as a promise that your circumstances are going to change. They may not, but he's promising a greater promise, that you are not forgotten in your suffering and that you can have joy even while you are in suffering. You have reasons to rejoice. As we get to chapter four, where we'll focus today, we see Paul is with his reader, or he he will call his readers and give them reasons to rejoice. But you see right here, it almost seems like he starts with a command, right? In verse four, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Well, that's because it is a command. Paul isn't demanding that we rejoice unnaturally, though. His command is to be filled with a joy that is already expected. This is the same way that we would call out to a friend as they're about to leave. Take care, drive safe. You might, you're, you want them to make it home, but so do they. It's a command that you're expected to already want to do. Or when you're playing a game with your friends, good luck, have fun. You might, or if, if, They're not having fun. You would hope that they're not playing a game. You want to do it together because you're enjoying it. So there's lots of these little commands that we see in our speech that we use to care for others. We're not trying to burden them, but we're trying to bless them and encourage them with a benediction. But Paul gives more than a benediction here. He's teaching us that we can have joy. Paul is actually giving us in this text four ways to rejoice in these verses. Four things that can encourage us to know God better and to have lasting joy. Here's the first one. If you would look at verse five with me, it says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Here we see that we can rejoice in God's nearness. No matter where you go, God is still there. No matter what you do, you can't get lost or separated from God. He is always there as an anchor that you can set your joy in. We can rejoice in God's nearness. Theologians consider God to be transcendent. He is completely other. He is not dependent on any part of creation whatsoever. He is not constrained by space, nor is he confined by time. And he does not need us. But he chooses to be imminent, which means that he draws close to us and he relates to us. He may be totally distinct from us, but he is here with us. He isn't restraining himself by interacting with us. He does this out of his good will. God doesn't need us, but we need God. And God joyfully relates to us the way that we need him to relate to us. In love, he sends his son to live with us. His son who understands your weakness. Cast your anxieties upon him. He cares for you. He cares for you so much that he chose to live with us. The one who lived with us is the one who sympathizes with you in your time of need. And though he has ascended into heaven, he is coming back. He has not forgotten you. And that's what the second half of this passage is saying. The Lord is at hand. God is near to us. We are within his grasp. And there's a few ways that we can see God's hand at work here. The one I think most of us will immediately see is returning to chapter 3 with the return of Christ. He's coming soon. We've been given a promise that Jesus will return. It's like a race with a finish line that's so close that you can reach out and touch the end tape. We are at a time when the day is nearly within our reach. The day is drawing nearer and nearer. So we can rejoice that God is not delaying his return. Jesus is coming soon. He is at hand. He is drawing nearer and nearer as the day is drawing nearer and nearer. And in that, we can rejoice. It may not seem soon, since this promise was 2,000 years ago, but we know that God has not forgotten his promise. Everything is working exactly as he's planned. He's right on schedule, and he hasn't forgot us. He hasn't forgot you. And he has left us with a guarantee that he is at hand. Another way we can rejoice in God's nearness is by the Holy Spirit as God's seal of salvation living in you. This seal of the Holy Spirit shows that you belong to God. The Holy Spirit reminds us of the finished work of Jesus Christ. He convicts you of your sins. He reveals truth to you. He guides you. He's the one who seals and secures your salvation. He leads your spiritual growth. God is close to you, dear Christians. If you have believed in the finished work of Jesus Christ, if you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, if you have had your sins covered by the blood of Christ, you have been secured. God is close to you and he loves you dearly. He's not going to leave you to yourself. He will be with you. But he doesn't just stop at being near you. Finding joy in God's nearness through the Holy Spirit helps us to see the next way that Paul encourages us to rejoice. We can rejoice in God's protection. There's security that comes from God. He doesn't neglect us or abandon us as he draws near. He guards us. He keeps us safe. He doesn't let us go. We can rejoice in God's protection. Look at verses 6 and 7 with me. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God's presence is near us, and his love for us is shown through his protection. God doesn't save us and then leave us to ourselves. When you're given the Holy Spirit, you have been sealed. And not only do you belong to God, but you are protected by God personally. He won't let you go. You can have confidence that God has secured your salvation. You belong to him. And we have a direct connection to God as he is near us and he is here to guard us from our anxiety. We see this is the example that Paul gives in the text. The creator of the universe is here for you. There is nothing that rivals his power so you can be assured of your safety because God is greater. If you are experiencing anxiety, then call out to God, ask him for his peace, cry out to deliver you from your anxiety. And when you do experience that peace, whether that's now or that's later or even in the life to come, think about him and praise him for his peace. Do not be anxious about anything. Let your requests be made known to God. Your situation may not immediately change, but your contentment with and your reliance on God is strengthened when you pray to him. It may take a long time to realize how God is close to you and how much he is keeping you safe, but you can trust that he is directly and personally involved in your life. He knows what he's doing. God is present with you, And convicting you of your sins. He is active and present, telling you the good things that he does through his word that he has given to you in this book. He is convicting hearts. And you can be assured that there's no greater companion to have by you than God, the Holy Spirit, in you. We see that God, the Father, is directly involved in protecting you too, He knows you personally. He knows your deepest fears. He knows your greatest joys. He knows every one of your sins. He knows who you are intimately. And he still loves you. God protects you from yourself. You won't lose your salvation. You won't screw up his plans. You can be at peace with that. In fact, the verse tells us that God is a God of peace. The peace of God will guard you. Think of a bodyguard. Their job is to protect their clients. If you consider the president of the United States, he has an entire service of guards, and they make sure that nothing happens to him. Or if you think of Paul, he is a prisoner, and he is surrounded by guards, and these guards are meant to also keep him safe. He can do whatever he needs to do with full confidence that he will be protected. And God is like your personal spiritual bodyguard. So rejoice, you matter. God cares for you, and he has enlisted himself as the one to personally watch over you. This directly personal God has drawn near to you, and he protects us, and these are reasons for lasting joy And next, we see that we can rejoice in God's character. This is good news because God is able, and God is faithful, and God is good. And in this passage here, we've seen that he is a God of peace. And that's why we can rejoice in God's character. In fact, we can rejoice in all of God's character. Let's look at verse 8 and see the list that Paul gives us. Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is a good list. If you know someone who exhibits all of these attributes, you should be quick to befriend them. Someone who is truthful and stands up for what is right. Someone who does the right thing with integrity. Someone who has good motives and genuinely cares for others. Someone who you can recommend knowing that they have integrity. Someone who comes through on their promises. And this is a person that you want to have in your life, the kind of person that helps you to dwell on what is good. By contrast, you don't want someone who exhibits a life contrary to this list, someone who is dishonest and selfish, someone who doesn't care about purity, a person who is divisive and just gets by and cultivates bad character. This type of person draws to your mind wrongful thoughts and helps to develop your wrong character. Your friends shape who you are, and if you look at some of your closest friends, you'll see how they have shaped your life. And this is why it's important that we cultivate godly friendships, and this list shows you what to look for. But if you're looking for the perfect friend, consider God himself. This list is good because it aligns with the character of God. This list is based on who he is. Look at the list. God is True. He is both real and he's truthful. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. God is honorable. He does what he promised or what he promises he will do, and he never acts against his character, and he is worthy of respect. In Hebrews 2:9, we see that God has crowned Jesus with glory and honor because he has suffered death. God is just. He judges everything appropriately, and he punishes or rewards accordingly. Abraham reminds us in Genesis that the judge of all the earth will do right. God is pure. There is no wickedness in him, no wrong motives, no evil deeds. 1 John 1 declares that in Jesus there is no darkness whatsoever. God is lovely. The promise he made in the gospel is the most life-giving and loving act in all of history. There is nothing more beautiful than God himself. God is commendable. God made the world and all that is in it. God is excellent. There is no greater good, none more compassionate, none greater than he is. He stands in a class of his own. And God is worthy of praise. Every breath that you have been given is a reminder of his compassion and his power and his love. So use that breath to praise God and the mind that you have been given. Use that mind to think about these things, about the character of God. We can rejoice in God's character. God is near to us and God protects us and we can trust in his character. All of these things They excite me and encourage me to have lasting joy. And I hope that they encourage you as well. And here's the last point. We can rejoice in God's conduct. This sums up the rest of what we just looked at. God draws us close to him. He keeps us from doing evil deeds and thinking evil thoughts. He proves that he is the perfect one for the job. But even more, we can rejoice in God's conduct. Look at verse 9 with me. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul tells his readers here that if they want to walk worthy of the call of God, they can do so by following his example as he first followed Christ's example. And we follow Paul insofar as that he follows Christ. As we have Christ's example written down for us to examine in the four gospels, we see how he lived. We see the good deeds that he's done. We see his compassion or his righteous anger towards sinners and their sin. He sees, or he, we see him love both in tenderness and in rebuke. We see a man who has lived a perfect life in obedience to the father. We see God with us. And we see how Jesus has given his obedience to us as he takes our sins from us. We're reminded once again of the gospel. We sinned, but Jesus did not. He suffered the curse of sin and even died because of sin, but not his own. He died because of our sins. He died for our sins. His blood was shed, and he suffered on our behalf. We deserve to be crucified, but we weren't. We deserved condemnation under God, but we're not condemned. He deserved favor with God, but we were given that favor. My fellow believers, what better news could there be? Jesus died for you. You are saved because God has drawn near to you. We see that he has protected you and he is protecting you right now. So be of good cheer. You can rejoice in that. He has made good on his promise. You are blessed because you have been covered by the love of God. This promise isn't limited to anyone who is already a Christian This promise is for anyone. Do you want to experience lasting joy that does not fade? Come to Christ. Be clothed in God's love for you. Find joy in these promises. If you call upon his name, you will be saved. Do it today. Don't wait. It would be a tragedy to miss out on the promise that has been given to you. Feel free to ask me or any of the elders or pastors. We would be happy to talk to you about this. I promise that the gospel is worth everything. There's no greater news than God making peace with you and becoming your friend and protecting you for eternity. I hope these reasons to rejoice in the Lord stick with you and that you can rejoice in the Lord always. Remember that God is near to you. He sticks around closer than a friend. God protects you. He watches over his children. God's character shows that he is good and that there is nothing greater than to be in his presence and that God acts to display his love for you. He has made a plan to fulfill it and he has fulfilled it and he has saved you and you are united to him. So you get to be a blessing now. As we see that God has first done this for us, we get to follow in his example. God first did these for you. So emulate Christ. Follow Paul's example. Take this message and share it with others. Draw near to him. Proclaim who he is. Present yourself before others so you can see what God has done in you. Protect those in need and care for them. Invite people into your home. Cultivate good character. Strive to become more and more like Christ every day. This will be a lifelong challenge, and we praise God that your salvation is not dependent on your sanctification, but you will see the growth that comes in being more and more like Christ. Live in a way that displays his character that you first found in him. And in this, hope that people will see your good deeds and that they will praise your Father who is in heaven. So finally, rejoice. God is near. You can know him. You can tell others about him. But most importantly, you have been saved by him. And this is the reason that we still gather every Sunday, 2,000 years later, the victory that God has attained has been given to you. And it is freely given to others if they come to know him too. So let's take time to celebrate as we continue this service and throughout our week. Let's pray. God, in your perfect and infinite glory, you have placed us here to rejoice in who you are. We ask that we never forget the promise of who you are. So fill us with abundant joy this week and encourage us in our doubts And strengthen us in our love for you and our love for others. Teach us to obey you more and more. And fill us with your spirit so that we may rejoice with great gladness. We thank you in the gift of salvation that you have given us. We ask that we be given the opportunities to proclaim your message. Your gospel to the friends that we have. And our family members and our co-workers and anyone else that we may see in the week. We ask All of these things in the name of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who brought us back to you, the God of peace. Amen.